0: Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that
1: no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just tell you, keep it to Bitcoin.
0: Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour episode 37, as always, joined by the three amigos, we got uh, Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting, uh, and we've got everyone's favorite boomer, Keith Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management. Keith is uh, in the mountains with some mountain fever, uh, that's what we're calling it. So um, he's a little under the weather, so he'll be popping in and out of me, mostly Rich and I, uh, taking taking control of the show here. Um rich what's going on man what's new with you how much congratulations on last night's uh
2: another illegal victory for the colorado um rockies is it what are they called
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll take it any way we can i'm uh, very i was
2: Bettman's got got your got your boys back
0: <laughs> I, I thought that goal was in and uh it reminded me of like patrick kane in 2010 yeah when they, when they won the cup there. That's right.
2: He and Nas- um, I'm
0: really I really like Nazem Kadri. I think he got a raw deal in Toronto and and I think he's
2: um and the bullshit that he had to deal with in St. Louis was out of control, so I'm really really happy for him.
0: But uh, it was definitely too many men in the ice. Anyways, um anyway, Hey. <laughs> we don't talk about that, but anyways, yeah, no, I'll be in uh Colorado actually at the day that this podcast is coming out. So oh tomorrow goodness. Tomorrow Friday I will be in uh Colorado for game 5. I bought my tickets. Uh, before the series started for game five so I'm, I'm hoping this all works out for me as a long 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 time diehard avalanche fan but uh let's i mean speaking of that that's m- maybe a good segue um yeah. i i bought some avalanche tickets to game five and i could not believe the ticket prices
2: ah, yes.
0: um i was just like man how do normal people afford these tickets like i just don't understand. They were like, I'm up in the nosebleeds in the upper bowls. I'm like at the top row and I, cause I'm, I'm, I'm cheap as hell. Um, and they were like 1500 bucks a ticket. So I had to get two because my wife's coming. Is she a big hockey fan? No, but she wants a vacation. So, um, moral support, I suppose, is what we're calling it. But, anyways, yeah, 1500 bucks a ticket. And I mean that doesn't include all the you know the beers, the food. Hotel. hotels, I was like, holy smokes, man. Like only anyways. ballers
2: like you on Keith can afford something like that. But I think it's I think it's good, man. It's it should be once once in a lifetime event. Hopefully they win well, for you. What's, what's, think what, what
0: oh, go ahead. Hey Steve,
1: what 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 do they cost now to cut stuff up?
0: Uh they've gone up a little bit. I was joking, maybe I should flip them and uh shame you know. on you. No, 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 no. But it was like I didn't mean, they're like two thousand bucks now. So, uh, I, so I've been what, trading... Uh, that's
1: been trading one of my NFL better investments
0: tickets.
1: of the year. I've been trading NFL tickets like on StubHub for a few years now. You know, it's 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 quite the game. That's you how you afford money. that
0: nice house, eh?
1: Yeah, yeah. The 49ers have paid for it.
0: That's amazing. How often? Mm-hmm. How, how many games a year do you go to, 49ers?
1: Uh, we'll do one a year. We'll go okay. one game a year.
0: Yeah, that's a yeah. long haul from Halifax.
1: Uh, well, sometimes you choose a... Uh, you know, a, 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 an away game, so you, you always go for the location. Like, where is it going to be fun? And you do it yeah. that way.
0: So I've got two questions now. This is kind of a good segue here. Is one these ticket prices are outrageous? so we clearly have an inflation issue here. Um, Canada's CPI inflation rich. Uh, I know you broke it down for everybody on Twitter the other day, but maybe just walk us through that. I guess it was, and we we had cautioned people before, right? Keep in mind the CPI basket was changed or updated from stats canada so they did now they've now added used car prices to the index which is what the u.s has been doing you know for i don't know decades and so that's why everyone like you know it's hilarious because like krista freeland's like you know testifying in the house of commons being like our inflation rate is like not that high in relative terms to the rest of the g7 and then she points like the u.s and it's like listen lady like first of all you guys are completely calculating CPI using different methods and baskets. So they've now added used car prices, hence the huge ramp up in Canadian inflation print. So don't take that as like, Oh my God, inflation is like accelerating at a rapid pace. Um, but Rich, maybe break it down for us a bit further.
2: Yeah, sure. like I'm going to push back a little bit on the used car thing, but Christina Freeland definitely, definitely flat out lied about that. Um, okay. So let's just talk, let's just get it done. Um, so 7.7 7 was a 39 year high. The last time th- that happened, Mike Fosse and Brian Trottier won the four Stanley Cup for the Islanders. I tried to have a little bit of fun on Twitter. I think everybody takes themselves way too seriously. So um, I mean, it's, it, it's a brutal number, 7.8, uh, 7.8 and 7%. Sorry. Shelter, which is a component that I've been talking about for a long time, um, it has been a really like a large contributing factor to that. And it just, it actually is now, Shelter is now at 7.4%. Um, and so it contributed 2.9 out of the five from core. So it's, you can
0: start to see these numbers. Um, Isn't that certain- funny though? Like just yep. to kind of put that in context for everybody that like the, inflation basket, which covers shelter is now finally rising as home prices peaked literally like four months ago and are now rolling over. So it's like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the data that policymakers are ultimately using and, and using to basically set the price of money is kind of like not bad data, but like lagging and like not necessarily, I mean, they're doing their best, but it is kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it, listen, I mean,
2: You know, someone the other day said to me, uh, you know, isn't the CPI basket uh, totally screwed up? And isn't it a bogus calculation? I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, it is. You figure out a better one. And so you have to balance the criticism, which is, I think, justified. Um, you have to also balance the reality that, you know, no one really can do probably a better job or wants to do a better job. So it's just about, you know, I think it's about sort of looking at all different indicators together and not being willfully (laughs) blind to the data as I think, and I'll get onto why I think that's an important little sort of a dig at the bank of Canada, but anyway, so important things, services is really important services for people don't know is much stickier. Inflation. So if you look at my Twitter thread, you'll see, you know, goods bounces around, obviously, because it's, you know, related to food and, and fuel, which is much more cyclical and much more sensitive. Uh, but services inflation got up to 5.2, which is again, I can't remember exactly how high that is, but that's a, that's a real high. Um, and, and that's so what we call stickier. And that's like a 20 at a 20 year high. The last time it was this high was in 1990 or 1991. So again just to remind everybody services inflation is stickier why it's to do with a lot with um more labor it has to do with more labor it's sorry it's more linked to labor markets um and it's not as cyclical it's not as sensitive to import prices or currencies etc um then there's energy prices which i thought was crazy which is 35% the reason i bring up energy is not you know not to remind everybody how expensive they're their, um, their trip to the gas station is, but to remind everybody that if Canada wasn't one of the largest exporters of oil in the world, that number would be way, way higher. Um, and our currency as a function of that would be much lower. People have talk, heard me talk about that before. And then the final one, just to, the final two things, which is food, which is just, you know, it's such a shame. I think what people don't get is like a lot of these policies, a lot of this inflation, excuse me, has as a function of supply chain constraints. Yes. But I reiterate the kind of, you know, generational expansion in the balance sheet um, to basically provide cover for an incredible deficit. Um, and the amount of money that was spent as a percentage of GDP um, is just, you know, double what it was in 2008 with no necessarily discernible improvement. For We're not, we're not really sure. I, I imagine the jury is still out on whether or not we got our bang for our buck there. And then the final thing that I think was really important and the chart that I always say, I always say the same thing because I guess, you know, I'm a broken record, but it's the chart that really should anger Canadians when they look at it. It's the inflation, core inflation. So it's excluding um, certain certain items that might be subject to supply constraints or cyclical factors. And the Bank of Canada created this, you know, in their infinite wisdom called the three preferred measures of core inflation. I suggest all of our listeners just, throw throw that into the Google machine. And you can see that they designed it to capture persistent price movements by eliminating transitory or sector-specific fluctuations in CPI. If it sounds like I was reading that, it's because I was reading that. That's literally their words. And you can see those numbers um, were starting to rise rapidly at the beginning of 2021. And the BOC just ignored them for some reason. Um, They were well above the target the stated target of you know plus or minus one percent um above or below two so one to three um by you know early 2022 um and you can see now one of them the one based on a trimmed mean approach is like almost six percent and it's it's not slowing down so that's that's a story for the inflation piece i don't know steve if you wanted to um uh, oh yeah no the used car thing sorry okay the car bit was new sorry 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 the used car bit was new i actually went and read the release from the from stats can and they argue that there wasn't actually such a big influence on this so far on this um particular print is what they said i put the link in my twitter used car prices
0: are finally rolling over (laughs) keith's porsche is finally (laughs) going down in value
2: yeah so that's i mean (laughs) i can't speak to that i can't speak to i did read the really boring um note um Like like you mentioned, the U.S. has had used car prices um, in the CPI basket for years. Canada sort of ignored it. Um, CPI um, at one point contributed almost like a third in the U.S. It it contributed almost a third of the increase in headline inflation. It was an incredible, incredible number. How does that work out? Well, if you have a forty percent increase in something that weighs about five or six. six to 10% or whatever in your basket, you can get a significant, significant boost from specific items. The same is true, by the way, on the way down. Um, A couple of years ago, there was something to do with mobile phones when mobile phones, all prices all got cut and you could see the incredible decrease in the the inflation. But yeah, so that's the inflation roundup. I know people are sort of tired of it because uh, they'll complain that those numbers are far too low and they don't reflect their own baskets. I
0: sympathize with that view completely. You You know what gets me going? All these inflation it. apologists <laughs> that are like, yeah, you know, it's a f- world phenomenon. We should not be blaming governments and like the Trudeau government. And it's like, really? Like, really? Um, I mean, Krista Freeland is now coming out with basically another helicopter money drop. Like, that's not, this is just like, nobody wants to, and this is what we've been talking about this show, right? Like, we said it months ago, which was like, they will fight inflation with like more stimulus checks. um, Because like nobody wants, we're in a society now where nobody wants to stomach any sort of pain. Nobody, it's always like, you know, Oh, what was me and nobody, nobody should be able to go bankrupt and nobody should suffer any pain. So let's just give, give them more money, give them free dental care, give them everything they need to stay elected. and you know, like one of the policies from Krista Freeland is she's cutting it. She's going to cut a $500 check to like a million renters in Canada. And it's like, I get it. Like we want to help these people. They are suffering, but like this, this is actually going to hurt them more. Like you need to, like you've got the central bank, which is aggressively raising interest rates in order to like quell inflation. And then you have the government doing the exact opposite, which is, well, let's give them more money. And so I, it just, it's, it's really mind boggling, to be honest. And then nobody holds them accountable. I mean, we don't hold them accountable.
2: It's our fault as voters. I think it's important to sort of recognize that. Um, I think you can call your MP. I think you can write emails to them. I hope they take that a little bit seriously. As far as handing people money, I mean, it's, it's the argument I've sort of made with a lot of these handouts. You're just, it's, it's just a transfer of wealth from the government to the landlords. That's what people don't sort of get. Um, it, it, you know, I don't, and it, 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 I think it's,
0: it just, it seems very short-sighted. Oh, um, yeah. I've sorry, go a, ahead. Well, I've got a crazy story just on the rental side of things, but like, yeah, cause true. you're talking about like, you know, subsidies and landlords and stuff. I mean, let's call it what it is again. I, I think like at the time it was probably good policy. Cause like we would have had like a economic depression, but like, let's call it what it is like, and I'm in the business. It's like, you know, these, these, these like mortgage deferrals and whatnot, like, while they were good policy, they kind of, it was kind of like a bailout for homeowners. It was. And then ultimately, you know, they said, okay, you know, we can't evict anybody. So let's, we'll basically subsidize the landlord's rent. So you keep your tenant in there. If the tenant can't pay the full rent, we will subsidize you. Um, And now, uh, yeah, just crazy story. I just like, so I'm here in Vancouver. I was chatting with a guy in our office there and he goes, yeah, you know, my client just bought into this building and, and uh, so he's rented out this unit. I've actually sold in this building before. It's like a fifty-five-year-old like building in East Vancouver, like decent neighborhood, but like it's really it's like like the old one of the oldest like buildings in Vancouver. Like it is not a nice building. Uh, and he so they just they got a one-bedroom rental in there. They just the guy his client just rented it out. He says he got fifty applications, and he rented it out for twenty-four hundred dollars a month, a one-bedroom, like six hundred square feet, like not in great shape, but, you know, it was updated maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago. Like, and so that was $2,400 a month. That unit pre pandemic on the high side would have been like 1900. So we've seen this like massive, like the rental market in Vancouver right now is like insanely hot, uh, despite everything what's happening in the resale market right now. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why the shelter component is such an important thing.
2: Um, contributor and factor going forward and something we should all sort of keep an eye on besides the fact that it's 39 of course CPI basket um i think that there's still pressures on that, that that number coming from population growth um yeah but coming from handouts coming from a bunch of stuff i don't know go for it
0: way that uh i'm not entirely sure on how stats can is calculating like the the shelter component isn't it like homeowners rec- replacement costs so that would like be more attributed to construction costs.
2: Yeah. So it's definitely part of that. There's there's different parts there, it, right? There's there's definitely um an owner like this, there's like an owner accommodation measure, which it includes sort of like the operating costs of a house. Yeah, which, but it doesn't necessarily track
0: is it not necessarily tracking like rents and, and like home they price? try to
2: one of them is I've 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 posted it before and we can we can share it um which is the yeah it, it does track rents. Okay. There's like, there's rental accommodation. That's one of them. There's homeowner, owner accommodation. That's another one. There's like housing operational costs that are included in that. Those operational costs, obviously are very subject to supply chain constraints. You can see that some of them have blown out. Um, well,
0: what I will say is this, is that I just know from the rental data. So for example, like a lot of the media will quote like rental data from like CMHC. And that's, I think how it stats can use is a CMHC's rental data. Is CMHC just surveys um, property managers of commercially operated buildings, basically? So they they contact like professionally managed apartment buildings and they survey them based on like, hey, what's your rent roll? But like, they're not they're not they're not capturing like rent turnovers for one in the grand scheme of things. And then number two is you're not capturing the massive private landlord market right like most condos or most like places that you go to rent you're typically renting from like a mom and pop right some 60 year old dude that's got you know a one bedroom condo that he wants to rent out and that's his retirement thing like that's typically if you're renting for us so they don't survey that guy and like he'll have he'll typically have more turnover right he'll typically so anyways long story short um the data that we're operating under is certainly not perfect. I actually have a kind of some of them floating it out there of like the idea that like interest rates, like what a novel idea. like interest rates should be set by like the private market. like the market like I'm kind of curious, like I don't know like I, I it's apparently that used to be a thing back in the day, the like Keith, I don't know, you're old enough to know, but uh, I don't even how would that work? like
1: I remember those days. First of all, though, I feel like, you know, the, the hockey analogy here, you know how, like, you make it to the finals and there's always, like, the the aging veteran that, that holds on for one last year and they let him play in the seventh game or whatever to get the cup. Like, I feel like I'm Lenny McDonald right now. You guys are carrying me today, so that's pretty cool. I like that. You are. Um,
0: it's playoff but, time. Keith's grinding it out.
1: Like, I'm out. I can't even look around the ice. You guys are going so fast the uh yeah years ago before that the bank of canada they they didn't actually set rates it was set by the market it's uh but it's it's really not that big of a deal even if the central bank sets overnight rates which which they do the rest of the yield curve is set by the market unless of course you have a lot of qe involved which is (laughs) happening today i always like to say that you know that the global yield curve has been suppressed now for probably 12, 14 years. But in a normal economic monetary environment, yeah, the market does set the rates. And then they set credit spreads as well, of course. So um, so that has a big impact on it. But probably though, like the next big thing, uh, yesterday, Powell was speaking. And, um, you know, he's talking about his commitment to bringing down inflation. And his word he's used was unconditional. So this goes back to, you know, the narrative that we introduced a few shows back that it's likely central banks are trying to create a recession to really, you know, crash demand. So you think about what's happened over the last few weeks. So the, the narrative has shifted from, you know, we will have an economic slowdown to now okay, maybe we'll get flat growth to now. It's, okay, we're going to hit a recession, but it's going to be a soft landing. You see how it's happened steadily over yeah. the last few weeks? Now, it's, even one of the Wall Street firms came out, said, so yeah, we're going to have a recession, most likely Q4 this year. So we happen to, uh, here at Ice Cap, I, I suspect that the probability of a, a, a pretty good recession is, is a lot higher than people are thinking. And um, so that's going to have a, a big impact on markets going forward. So think about all the markets that have been, you know, that have been grinding lower and lower over the last couple of quarters, like Japanese yen, for example, uh, the, the 10 year, I can totally see them having a good rally for a month or two. Uh, oil could come off, oil could come off pretty hard in, in that. And if you, if you see these movements taking place, don't be fooled into thinking it's the start of a new Cycle, where that trend will become linear. Like it could just simply be your opportunity to you know buy more oil or to short yen again or you know short the ten year again. But remember that the narrative is changing now. Is now it's becoming more acceptable to talk about a recession coming. So I think that's where we're definitely going to be headed.
0: So well, Jay Powell was out. Uh, I guess he's testifying uh, yesterday and today. I guess. So one of the guys, reporters, was asking him uh, or members of parliament or I don't know, what do you what do you call Senate? The US there. Anyways. um, Yeah. I was just saying, you know, what in Powell basically came out and said, yeah, like we have to try to engineer a slowdown and and engineering a soft landing is going to be a a difficult task. Right. So I think these these guys kind of know like in order to get inflation down. Uh, and also engineer this magical soft landing, which, you know, we had the Bank of Canada's Tiff Macklem talking about a week and a half ago, right? You know, we're, we're, we're aiming for this soft landing and, and I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to, to engineer a soft landing when you have inflation at literally 30 to 40 year highs. Um, so, and then, you know, one of the ones you'll enjoy rich, there was a, I don't know who was that, I don't know, some Republican, I can't remember where he was from, but he's like, he's like. Inflation is hitting hitting my citizens so hard that they are coughing up bones, and uh, so like uh, actually. <laughs> yeah, and Powell's there the straight face, but um, you know he was basically asking like, would it would it help inflation if we had more refining capacity? Um, yeah, I heard that. And, and I mean, it would.
2: Put- I mean, it would obviously refining capacity. We got. We've talked about this before. Refining capacity is a seven year low in America. Um, in Canada, we've refined the exact same amount of oil as we did 20 years ago, which is like 1.9 million barrels a day. It's for different reasons of slightly different reasons. but in general, there's not enough refining capacity and that definitely affects oil prices, especially gasoline prices. We've talked about the crack spread before. crack um, spread, drink, <laughs> drink. Uh, but just like one thing on the narrative, I think is really we touched and you were touching on that and I sort of got sidetracked, but I want to just get back to it if I can, which is, um, You know, um, Keith talked about rec- the narrative around recession. Well, I want to bring it back to the narrative around inflation. And, you know, in my, in my early days of Twitter and putting stuff up, I made this video called The Four Stages of Inflation. And um, I ripped it off of this show again, second mention in two weeks about Yes, Prime Minister but how there was like four stages of dealing with foreign policy. So I swapped that round and, and and I wrote down the four stages of inflation. I think it's worth us just reminding us of sort of where we've come and where we're going. And the first stage, of course, was to say that there was no inflation um, or that none of the policies would be inflationary. And I think it's important to remember that, even though there was many people out there saying, listen, deficits plus, 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 this is going to end badly. And then the second stage was oh but there's inflation but it's lower than you think and i remember reading articles about how the cpi baskets weren't appropriate for the corona and this and that and had these missing pieces and there was too many of the wrong there was flights in there where there shouldn't have been and there was this product in there when we should have taken it out and then the third and the best stage of course was that it was transitory so that was stage three and then you just touched on it, and I think it's important that we get back to it a little bit. Which is the fourth stage was that the inflation is good for you, and and I think that that's the most insane um, stage. And it's you clearly seeing it. The narrative has absolutely moved to that fourth stage. Um, you know, I've gotten a lot of things wrong in the last couple of years. So I definitely, definitely got that right. And this idea that that inflation somehow is good for people, especially poor people. Um, I think it's just such a nasty kind of, um, it's such a bait and switch. Um, I think if you're not paying attention and you don't write, I mean, I write notes sort of every other week and and sort of have, I have the, I've got the receipts, shall we say, but it it is such, it's such a pernicious thing. And and I think it's so important that we sort of remember those, the narrative and remember that sort of the wool is trying to be pulled over our eyes. And now we're we're reading whether it's, I'm not going to mention newspaper's name, but how inflation is meant to be good for us and I, and I just call bullshit on that. I mean inflation is not good. Um for especially we're talking 8s and 9s and 10s and 15s and 30s. I mean, if inflation's 1 or 2%, I can sort of wrap my head around that being okay for people. But for to have it this level and and then to blame it all on sort of supply chains
1: I just think it's just such such bullshit, mm-hmm. such a lie. Hey Rich, how is it how is it positioned as being good for us? Is it from the wage side or
2: yeah so one of them is like, um, so one of them one of the articles I read was that you know you can demand higher wages, which of course is dumb because obviously inflation's outpacing wages um two the other one was like um, you know the other one was like, oh, it's about debts, so if you have lots of debts you technically your the real value of your debts are going down, which I guess is true um but make no mistake if you own real assets and you are highly highly levered, which is Generally, people with larger mortgages, um, you know, um, people who, you know, have huge equity portfolios, like Keith, got lots of money, those inflation, the, the value of his real assets is it will stay, I mean, they didn't necessarily go up all the time in real terms. But there's just it's, it's an easier fight, let's say, um, you know, people who own who get a lot of income from dividends, those dividends are paid in, in real terms, um, just as a function of they're paid every single year. Um, and so it's just it's just amazing to see that that narrative switch around. It's just, I, mean, I really want to do an oil rant, <laughs> despite Steve's objections. But it's the same it's the same bullshit around, you know, um, about energy and how those narratives have changed. Um, Biden recently cut the, the tax is cutting taxes on, on gasoline um, and talking about how these um, oil companies are not producing enough oil. Meanwhile, they've done sort of everything in their power to um, restrict the supply to constrain output and capacity. Sorry.
0: Did you see the public fight on Twitter with the Chevron, the CEO of Chevron and and, and president Biden? Uh, I don't have the, uh, I don't know if I have it in front of me here, but uh, the CEO of of Chevron was basically fighting back. um, Chevron responds to president Joe Biden Addressing the situation requires thoughtful action and a willingness to work together, not political rhetoric. Your administration has largely sought uh, uh, to criticize and at times vilify our industry. Uh, I mean, that's obvious. Oh, to anybody. And then he goes on Chevron, Chevron will engage in this week's meeting with Secretary Granholm. I encourage you to also send your senior advisors to this meeting so they, too, can engage in a robust conversation um, but anyways, I think Biden was fighting back or he made some comments saying, "Ooh, like, you know, Chevron's quite sensitive. But I mean, it is, it is, you know, the ultimate sort of summarization here is, yeah, that, you know, that oil, that oil industry has obviously been vilified, right? Like, they're the bad guys, they're the guys for, you know, causing climate change. I mean, that at least that's what it's been made out to be from the media and uh and now all of a sudden that we're in a you know a shortage and rising fuel and gas prices and and you know your standard of living is declining everybody's asking them to, to sort of fire up the pumps and 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 ramp up you know refining capacity etc cetera, etc cetera. and and it's not that simple right i mean i'm not an oil expert obviously but well, neither um, am i i know a neither, yeah news, but, but i mean what does it take for, like for a new refinery? because these are like these are like seven, eight, nine year projects just like to start. So like you have to look kind of like as an oil executive, you got to look basically like 10 years out and say, is it worth the capital investment here when every level of government is basically trying to penalize us from further investment, but they yeah, want so
2: lower I think prices. The other thing that I think people just you know, it's stepping back, like before we get, sort of get into that, because I think it's really easy to lay it on. I have a lot of arguments and a lot of charts, but I think what people don't really appreciate is how difficult and kind of um, how scientific refining oil is and how many PhDs in chemical engineering and PhDs and master students in the pressurizing pipes and getting hot fluid to travel through pipes with corners, the 90 degree corners and up and down and, How scientifically rigorous and difficult and challenging it is to create an efficient and effective refining facility and how much money it takes. And money means staff, a highly technical, well-trained, competent staff, and obviously the capital expenditure on the structures bit and the equipment bit. And so, like, this idea that you can just, like, after, again, just to reiterate, like, let's use real numbers here. In in 2021, refining capacity was roughly, like, 8.75 million barrels per day in the U.S., and now it's 17.9. So, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a seven-year low. So, you know... And, and, and those, those refineries are running at a, at a capacity utilization rate of like 94%. And you say, well, Rich, why can't they go to up to 100? Well, because there's frictional utilization, rate. Right? Do you know what I mean? In the sense you still you need to turn it off to, for maintenance and whatever. So that's the first thing. And why is that important? Because we've talked about it, the crack spread, which is the difference between the refined and unrefined product. And normally, those crack spreads are around $20 US a barrel and now they're at 60, and they refuse to fall. So that's the other sort of angle that I think is really important. And then obviously, you know, we've talked about, and then there's inventories, which are very, very low, and that's related to the ability to pull oil out of the ground. And why is that low? Because capital expenditure relative to either sales, total assets, GDP, for most of the Western liberal democracies is at 10, 15 year low in Canada. You know your capex spend on mining and and materials and related to that is now I'm looking at it right now is like less than one percent of nominal GDP, and that's a low that's not been seen since 1993. So, you know, you sort of um, I think that that's just it's 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 just like there's no flexibility in the system, and I would argue again as I've mentioned before it's an own goal. Um, And I think that, but but more importantly, I just think it's, it's, we kind of, we take it for granted, you know, I think when things become ubiquitous, um, you know, when they're everywhere and we touch them all the time, like, just think of how amazing your cell phone is, as an example. I mean, your cell phone, you literally have a supercomputer in the palm of your hand that can take better photographs than 90% of um, other cameras. You can talk to anybody in the world, the click of a button, you can search up any... You know, we start to take these kinds of technologies for granted. And I submit to you that the technology of fossil fuels, specifically um, gasoline, not so much coal, because that's just, there's not that much to it. You just pull it out of the ground and you throw it in the machine and you burn it. But the, the refining, the ability to refine and use petroleum products has basically been, we've taken it for granted. And I think it, we're, we're learning that lesson really the hard way. I think, um, you know, one thing I think we don't talk about enough is, the, the sanctions in Russia and how basically that's just going to absolutely destroy Europe. Why again, because Europe produces no fuel and yet consumes roughly 9 million barrels of oil a day. You know, it's like, so it's, it's, I think it's just, that it's sort of an arrogance. I think that, that really kind of bugs me. I mean, it's a lack of respect for all of the brilliant men and women who work as engineers in that industry. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm too romantic about it, Steve, but I just think it's, it's a shame really.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, speaking of which uh, seems just looking at some tickers right now. So, I mean, we've got a nice little sell off here in oil and gas, um, as as Keith has kind of talked about, right? Keith, how are you kind of looking at markets right now? Uh, you know, we've kind of had this commodity sell off. I mean, I'm watching the price of lumber in particular because I've started construction uh, on my new property in Calgary. Um, so I'm kind of why I'm watching the commodity space quite closely because, well, I am going to get hit hard on these uh, increasing of financing costs. Uh, it looks like some of my building costs are finally starting to come down. Uh, lumber's gotten whacked pretty good here. But how are you looking in general at the commodity space and kind of what that's indicating to you, right? I mean, um, quite, 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 a, quite a good move in the last uh, month or so.
1: Yeah, I think the markets now have clearly shifted away from the inflation story more now, we're heading towards a, a slowed out or a recession story. And I, I think this might play out over a few months. And I, I do think that the probability of a, you know, it's a, it's some pretty dramatic declines in economic activity data is going to come at us. And we would use that as an opportunity then to, to load back up on the, you know, the, the commodity story. So for you, uh, you might get a break in the, in the near term. I doubt you'll get break on uh, wages or, or salaries for these guys working for you. But the commodity sell-off right now, it has been, again, the, the recession narrative, it, it's coming at us increasingly. Every day you'll, you'll see it. And uh, at the same time, the central banks, they're not going to stop raising rates, as Powell said yesterday. I think one thing that to uh, touch on as well, and I think, Rich, you might have some information as well, so whatever happens in the U.S. will likely happen in, in Canada. So if, if down in America, if they're going to cut taxes on gasoline, you know maybe we'll get some kind of an equivalent up here. I don't know how it would look or feel. But the other the other difference though is that down in the U.S. right now, um, the, the White House is very weak politically, so that they have to do this. Whereas up here in Canada, I think the the coalition between the Liberals and NDP is is, is pretty strong, right? So maybe they don't. Have to be as aggressive with, you know, some kind of a uh, um, a benefit for you know oil prices or gas prices, I guess.
0: If you look at the Nanos, uh, I, I subscribe to their service. The Nanos uh, polling in Canada, actually, I mean, the the lead, the the, the market share, the, the gain from the Conservative Party has been quite noticeable. Uh, they're actually the, they're actually in the lead in terms of polling right now um which is quite unusual because the liberals have been leading that for for years um so i do think like i agree with you yeah you've got that coalition which is obviously holding up pretty strong but i think there's a lot of angst and and disruption in society right now people are looking for fingers to point who to blame
2: i I, I have some ideas (laughs) Um, I think just can I just read just like just a last little thing on on the commodities thing you say rich why why would come like oil we get it I think I've explained that bit but why might commodities have a similar trajectory in terms of maybe having a short-term pullback related to the recession narrative but ultimately stay relatively elevated and I, and I think it's it's just a, it's a, just again it's this it's the lack of supply in the system and how do you determine supply there are different ways obviously there's inventory levels that's harder to figure out but often, what I like to look at is again sort of so, so things like capex, so capital expenditure. The same capex metrics that I would use to, 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 like see what's potential as far as what's in the pipeline for oil, I would do, use basic materials and basic resources. And again, you know, we're at um, I'm looking at it right here relative to total assets, um, we're at like basically 30-year lows. Um, and just one thing on commodity prices, I think people sort of need to sort of wrap their head around is like commodities are terrible businesses. Commodities are commoditized in their, fu- that, that is to say that they're fungible and interchangeable. Um, and so what you should have is your marginal, like from an economics, like nerd speak, you should have your marginal revenue ultimately meet your marginal cost. And, you know, you shouldn't, as as a commodity producer over the long term, you shouldn't really be making any money in inverted commas over the long term. There are just periods where your marginal revenue exceeds your marginal cost, but then someone enters the market and then sells the commodities they have so that their two curves match and you're back in equilibrium. And then you, again, you start to not necessarily lose money, although you may, is that you no longer are profiting wildly. And that's the trick right now. We're in a situation where your marginal revenue is well above the marginal cost as a function of these supply constraints, whether it's an oil and gas or, or basic resource and stuff. And I, and I would argue that they're gonna, that's going to persist a long time, even if you do have some kind of recession or something like that.
0: But anyway, we can probably switch gears now. But well, uh, no, I was going to ask. I mean, Keith or Rich. I mean, how, how are you looking at the markets right now in terms of like? I mean, I'm looking at XLE, which is the energy ETF today, down four percent on the day and off uh, from its high. It's off about twenty five percent. Yeah, um, is this is this kind of like are we are we are we nibbling here? Is this like a, the part of the reload or or I mean, or is this like part of a, a larger flush out here, Keith? Where you know, ultimately again, fed, fed hikes, things break, which, you know, when things break, you have a liquidity crunch and everything sells off.
1: No, I think it's just a lot of rotation taking place. So, uh, you know, rich was very, um, uh, his timing was perfect and he was very, um, you, you emphasize that energy theme from day one is absolutely correct. And there are a lot of other managers did that as well, that they're running a, like very large books so they've made a lot of money. Now, you know, it's, you know, we're getting halfway through point of the year. Recession talks are coming up. A lot of that's just people taking money off the table. They're rolled into something else, like maybe a value play or something. But everybody that made money on in, in that theme, they love that theme. And as Rich points out, like not a lot has changed in the long-term narrative with, with that view. So I suspect if, if oil does, I do think it will come off here. Uh, as, as will the energy stocks as well. I, I can see that money going right back into it again. So um, you know I think it would be maybe the potential for one of these reloads coming up.
2: But there's also another thing that's just like things don't happen in a straight line. And I think it's, as, it's very dangerous in a sense to expect, um, even for me who I'm, I'm very well aware of these businesses are ship businesses. And I'm very well aware that the setup was quite excellent for them it's still pretty good, but there are clear, clear risks. Um, and then I agree with Keith as far as a profit taking, but another, but, but the reality is, is, you know, things are some, you know, we talk a lot about technical indicators and sentiment indicators, and there's something called like an R- RSI, which is a relative strength index. Um, and things are often overbought. And what that means is people are like, you know, you are wary of, weary, weary, damn it. I always screw that up. But anyways, um, um, people always, you know, are very cautious about how fast you've moved in that certain space. Um, I also think that there's another, there's also the the interesting rotation we've seen, Steve, I don't know if you've noticed, which is sort of some people bottom feeding and nibbling at some of these tech names that we've, um, looked at, you know, companies, um, you know, that are, that used to be trading at 30 times forward earnings and are now trading at 18 and 17 times earnings, which is like the Googles and, and, and some of the U S tech, big tech names. Um, I don't know. I think that there's definitely a little bit of, of sort of rotation into that as well.
0: I don't know. uh, Well, yeah, I mean, Facebook's been dead money now for five (laughs) years. That's kind of the chart circling around, which is, uh, yeah, kind of crazy. Um, but uh, I was, I was going to ask you guys in terms of kind of circling back into our housing market here and, and kind of what we t- chatted about at the beginning of the show, which was, so you've got this like monster inflation print in Canada. It was definitely above expectations, even with the basket being revised. So it kind of surpassed, you know, market or economic forecasting expectations. And then on the day you had like the most watched, bond yield in Canada, the Canada five-year bond yield actually was off on the day, you know, declined. So is this more so in your opinion, just the market now pricing in weaker growth and that recession ahead, which is vis-a-vis that, okay, you know, you had another monster print, which means you this, this has to cement a 75 basis point rate hike from the Bank of Canada in July and that these guys are going to have to push this thing into into recession, and thus, sort of longer longer term yields are now falling. Jeez,
2: I don't know. It's the, Keith. You want to get that? Am one? I, am, I, am
0: I overthinking this, Keith? No, I, I mean
2: you can see it in the forward cur- in the Fed fund futures rate. Is that the the curve is already starting to head lower? Well, I, I just out. think that's
0: a big deal, given that like we've had. Basically, you know, again, in Canada, you've had mortgage rates more than double in a span of like three months. Like that's the I think it was the fastest pace on record, actually.
2: It's the same uh, in the u s, which is now six percent on the thirty yeah. year mortgage. in the u s, you've got a thirty year fixed mortgage. Um, it's now nearly six percent, five point nine eight.
0: Yeah, and purchasing applications for new homes in the U.S. is cratered. Yeah, it's cratered. Um, You know, mortgage uh, applications as well, which they track in the U.S. I wish we tracked that in Canada. Uh, Mortgage purchase applications, which is kind of like more of a forward uh, indicator, uh, have also collapsed as well. And, um, and, you know, it's crazy because the U.S. is obviously not even close to as levered as the Canadian housing market. So you can kind of imagine, uh, you know, how our housing market's kind of digesting this. But I think You know, again, having rates basically double in that short of period and then to see, okay, maybe have we finally seen that peak in these five-year fixed rate mortgages? And are we now slowly at least stabilizing or potentially rolling over a bit? Um, Is this a signpost?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see Bank of Canada is going to follow the Fed on the same path. So we we should get 75 basis points now next month. Because so remember, I, I put my foot in for that one last week, right? I'm already down for
0: 75. I I mean, this is going to be another break no, even no, on the no Twinkie back.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I was first in. Okay. But um, I, I do suspect central banks will continue to raise rates, but you're going to see the, the, the long-term bond to the 10-year in Canada and the 30-year in the U.S. I think you'll see those rates come off pretty aggressively so uh, sort of tying in with the oil trade, a lot of people will uh, you know, link oil to rates all the time. So you can see a lot of that money going in. So one of the biggest markets that could rally aggressively would be the long bond. So in, in the US, you can see the yield go from 3% to, to 2 like you know, just like that. Meanwhile, the Fed and the Bank of Canada are still raising rates. So then they are gonna say, okay, now I think we've done enough. So remember central banks are always chasing their tail. They're trying to be proactive, but they're always reactive because if they were proactive, we, you know, we would never be in this situation where we are. So I, I think those, Steve, that answers your question that mortgage rates are set by the yield curve, which are set by longer rates. They, they could easily come down before the Bank of Canada. However, but you had to put on top of that, though, the credit spread. So, the, I mean, um something that the banks will overlay on it. Speaking you of, chat, of
0: Twinkies, there's did another you get, chat with oh, your
1: bank, banker friends on that one, Steve.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, you get me in trouble again. Um, did you guys, did you guys see that uh, that Twinkies has come out with uh, a Twink coin? Yeah. Uh, so there's now like Twinkies in the shape of like a circle, uh, so individually wrapped Twink coins. So those might be. The next bet here, um, but there's Rich, another, I know you. <laughs> well, you to say
2: on the inflation thing, just another reason, another thing that I, I know, I know we've been wrong about this and maybe a little bit too early, but <laughs> I don't mind being wrong more, more than once, obviously, as I just think that there's like, I think we've reached, I I know, forgive me guys, but I think we've reached peak inflation. I think if it's not this month, it's next month. And it's not month after that, we're, there is sort of, I think that's also what the bond market I think is sniffing out, which is it's very, very hard for these base effects to keep rising at eight and 10%. And I think if you look at prices paid on the ISM PMI, which is the, from the purchasing managers index um, from the ISM, that component of their diffusion index prices paid that that came off a while ago if you look at backlogs and sort of order backlogs and that stuff that contribute to those increases in prices if you look on the look like at the rate of change in commodity prices even the rate of change of oil which is slowed as a function of you can't you know if you go up from zero to or if you go up from 100 and 120 and you stay at 120 yes prices are more expensive but the rate of change has slowed and I submit to you that in Canada, it's the same thing. The PPI X energy rolled over nine months ago and we're starting to see, I, I just, I, I think that by the end of the summer, I think inflation picture will be a lot different than it is now. And um, I think that the bond market is sort of is smelling that out. Whether it's you know, I don't think it's because the central banks raised rates. I think it's just you know that's the way these numbers sort of play out. But that's something I think is worth
0: adding. You're gonna get dogpiled (laughs) in the in the YouTube comment section. Comments because all all the tinfoil hats that say inflation's going to twenty percent and you need to get your shotgun gold bars.
2: On that, it's just it. What I think so. I think what people mean to say is that over the last, let's say, two years, you've had a massive increase in inflation and you'll, it's no, it's not transitory, which I agree. But to have year on year inflation stay at 10 and rise to 15 is inc- when you look at the level and you actually punch the math out on your calculator, these numbers, it's incredible. And we're just not seeing that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of just, just to, to kind of reiterate to people, we've talked about this on the show before, but we say like inflation is like peak and it's rolling over. It doesn't mean like absolute prices are coming down. Right. Like, like the stake that you buy at the grocery store isn't going to decline. Instead of that stake rising at 8% per year, it will probably only rise 4% right. next year and the year following or whatever. So like the rate, the levels of change will will, will decelerate. Um, They'll still be he, positive, which is definitely not yeah. transitory, which is
2: why all those central bankers are. Yeah, <laughs> like well,
0: I mean, like we could be in a period of inflation running at three and a half four, four yeah. and a half percent for the next two three years. Like, yeah, sure, why not? And so, what are what are the ramifications of that? I mean, well, that's you know, important
2: because even if you have a recession, there are time. So this is why this is why this idea that a recession will cure all ills for central bankers is a very, very dangerous one. If you look at like the 1980s, a classic example, you had re- two recessions in, in a row. And then a third one, not long after that, yes, they were mild, but, and inflation was still, yes, inflation slowed, but it was still positive and it was still very high. And so that's to me what you, you might I, I hate the word stagflation because I think that's overused. But you have a situation where growth is weak and inflation is still well above, let's say five or six. I don't know. Were,
0: if... were you referencing earlier the um, U.S. manufacturing PMI? Yeah, that, because that came out this morning, didn't it? Oh,
2: I didn't. I, that, no, uh, no, no. Okay, I'll drop. I'll drop a little hint the...
0: for you on the on the pod here. No chart. No, no, it
2: comes out the first week of. Um, I think it's the first week of the month.
0: Well, that's the one thats not what Lynn Alden said. Oh, no. I'm following her on Twitter right now, so uh, I, yeah, I might
2: have messed up. But, but maybe I uh, should
0: get—I should get hired here at Acorn Macro. Uh, <laughs> We'd love cons- to have you. <laughs> Consensus, <laughs> Consensus uh, economist expectations were for fifty—a uh, reading of fifty-six on the on the manufacturing PMI. Manufacturing PMI came in this morning at fifty-two. Okay. 52. So you're almost 50. Anything below 50 is contraction, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it's actually 50. I mean, it's, it's technically, I think it's like 50. Anything below 52 is like there's the long run. So there's two ways to look at it. One is to compare it to above and below 50, which is the numbers. So it's a diffusion index, which is a. Which Explain I've this weird things <laughs> with Rich. You got 10 <laughs> minutes. Go. No, no, I can't do it. But then, the, then a lot of people say, you know, it's about the direction of travel as well. So it's not only whether or not you're... And if um, another way, you're going up or down, it's about the pace of which you're going up and down. And what's cool, if you just type in, you know, ISM PMI manufacturing in your Google machine, you can... Do you want to explain can, what
0: that is, by the way, to people? They're uh, like, what the hell is a P- you manufacturing PMI?
2: So, manuf- so PMI means Purchasing Manager's Index. And it's from the Institute of Supply... Management, which is a a nonprofit, quasi nonprofit organization that's based out of Arizona, I believe, in the U.S. And what they do is they ask four thousand managers um, questions, Um, and these questions range from you know these questions range from are you hiring um, are you hiring or firing are your prices that you're paying. For your um, for your goods going up or down, um, are your are you is it easier or harder to um, um, to supply to supply raw materials? Are your um, you know are your lead times going higher or lower? Are you going to expend more? Are you gonna spend more money on capital expenditure? Are your new orders? Uh, are your export orders going higher or lower? Are your import orders higher or lower? Anyway, so there's a bunch of questions they ask about 4,000 managers and they collate all of these um, different, different items. I think there's 10 or 11 anyways. And then what they do is after they, they aggregate these and then they normalize the, the kind of aggregated view. And why is it a diffusion index is because let's say nine of the 10 items are going up you have basically 90, right? And if it's five of the 10 items are going up or down, you have, you're at 50 and what, and then effectively what, why, why that's useful is because you can normalize this series um, with sort of a, a, a stationary mean of, I think it's 52 or just under 52 right now. And then what that tells you, and then, and then obviously you have the direction, which is going, is it going up or down? And then you have the rate of change of that direction. And what's really powerful about this particular index for the U.S is that it just starts in 1955. And so you have a lot of data. It's seasonally adjusted, although there's unseasonally adjusted. And then you have, so you have a lot of data. The methodology I imagine is roughly the same. Um, It's a lead indicator kind of, although I think people put too much stock into that. Um, But also it just, it tracks the different, different um, sort of important criteria that any, Manufacturing businesses looking at it. So just to review: new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, inventories. I'm reading it now. <laughs> Prices, backlogs, etc. And then what's cool is that they also do the same thing for non-manufacturing, otherwise known as services. And they they you know they ask similar questions, but obviously related to service industries. Um, and then what's also really fascinating, I think, what what I and what I what I do personally every single month that it comes out is I actually click on the report, which is freely available for anybody who's interested. And what they do is they actually quote respo- what respondents are saying, which I think is, now people might say that's just anecdotal evidence and you can't use that. And, and yes, of course it's anecdotal evidence, but the people who at the su- Institute of Supply Management are not idiots. Um, and they, they, they choose the responses from the different um, industry groups so chemicals or tobacco or machinery or plastics or whatever metals or whatever it is. And they ask, and they, they, they say like, you know, um, you know, for example, I'll just read one now, like for machinery, our order books are still strong material prices continue to rise with energy and freight. The underlying influences on our costs are increasing. And so, you know, they have, and so those comments sort of add to the data points and together, they provide a really, really powerful picture of not only the specific industry. So in, in the US, it's about 20% manufacturing, 80% services, but then the industry components and then the sub-industry groups. And then you can use that to try to predict earnings. It's a really good predictor for earnings in the US. It can be a really good predictor for sales growth in the US. I've used prices paid as an indicator for margins in the US. I mean, so Canada has its own one in the, in Germany, you've got IFO in France, you've got the I S E E, which is the national sources. So you got every, you know, in, in Japan, it's the 10 can ten can fuck. I screwed. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> and then in, and then in China, you've got the Kaishin, which I always screw up saying, but the, and anyway, so every country has got sort of those indi- indicators and now you, let me stop anybody who gets sort of delusions of grandeur here. It, you cannot trade off of, these, it's very hard to make money off those specific indicators, but they do give you some real color and flavor for what's going on. Um, and, and yeah, I think most people in my business really swear by them. Now, of course, there's always pitfalls. Um, you know, like, for example, when the diffusion index was at 32, um, you know, it was quickly followed up by the fact that it was an all time high in just a few months after the covid lockdowns were unlocked and that's just a function of the severe dislocation in that series anyways a long-winded
0: i hope that was a long what you need to know is keith's not so impressed this is a highly respected (laughs) index what did i miss keith come
1: on it's signaling. it's
0: it's signaling crash and burn no um
1: but steve and rich when we talk about what is the market looking for to see if we are going to go into recession very quickly or slow gradual you know, decline it, it is the PMI number that that's what like rich is absolutely correct in emphasizing everyone can see this it comes out monthly so it's extremely timely and you don't need to worry too much about the actual number you want to look at what is number versus estimates and, and oh, the yeah. current number, the current number that just came out the actual number was less than estimates, which means, hey, things are slowing or growing less quickly than what people were thinking. So when I say, you know, maybe, you know, we roll off pretty quickly here coming up, it would be in the PMI number. So it would go from, say, 51, 52, the next number would be like 47. And if that happens, you know, the world is going to shake a little bit. So, that, so there's one the more thing. thing.
2: Oh, sorry. There's one other thing: is that the market is reacts a lot to this number. So that's why people. I used to work for a hedge fund, and some of the traders would sit around and basically like eat popcorn, watching and waiting for this number to come out, and then immediately look at the reaction of the yen dollar crosses of the year. I want that cross. job.
0: That sounds fantastic.
2: <laughs> or or like looking at see how oil prices moved. And if you look at if you have a daily, if you have if you're rich like Keith, and you have a Bloomberg with live prices. You can see the like by minute if it comes out above expectation or below expectation. You can literally see the tick go jump higher than you know than the and then it was trending or whatever it is, and you'll see the S and P futures react quickly to that.
1: Um, we used to bet on the uh, the monthly inflation number and, and P M I because uh, they're monthly, like they were they were easy yeah. to do. If we're bored, we do the weekly uh, the weekly job number. It's the
0: original Twinkie bet. Yeah
1: no these were for uh for some coffees back in the days
2: Ugh, we used to bet on uh, we used to bet on non-farm payrolls because we'd play pri- so non-farm payrolls for people who don't yep. know is every month i think on the first tuesday of every month or anyways uh, now i can't remember for some reason first first week for last first friday of every month or whatever they they produce the um employment figures for the previous month anyways
0: um so we would bet on those but we need, we need to ramp up more Twinkie bets here. Yeah. Give the people what they want. Well, will have to start betting on various random data sets. How much free money Christopher Freeland can pump out? You got to guess the number every week. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. As always, we appreciate your guys' support as we continue to build this Looney Hour community. Uh, a lot of exciting things in the works for uh for the pod here. So, all we ask is that you continue to share this episode with at least one person and let's build this uh, Looney Hour community one by one. So, as always, um, appreciate your support and we'll see you next week.